Hey there, Allie. Hope you're enjoying the day in Atlanta. It's Monday, and it looks like you've got a mix of clouds and clear skies ahead. Highs around 69 degrees with a pretty clear evening. Perfect weather for catching up on the latest news. North American venture capitalists were once eager to dive into the European startup scene, but now we're seeing a pullback. Despite Europe's rapid market growth and success stories, challenges like language barriers, currency differences, and fierce competition are making it tough for North American investors to get a foothold. Some might be I, I'm Jonathan Martin. And I'm Steve Onsker. And this is Early Bird News from Pocket Pod News. Over in Ukraine, the prime minister has just announced an expected $11.8 billion in economic support from the United States this year. With a budget gap of $37 billion due to the ongoing conflict with Russia, this aid is seen as crucial for both defense and economic stability. And turning our attention to health tech, light therapy lamps emitting near-infrared light are gaining popularity as an alternative treatment for seasonal affective disorder and mood improvement. A Dutch company showcasing devices designed to be integrated into laptops or webcams. But is NIR therapy truly effective? More research is needed. Stay with us. We've got all the news you need to start your day right here on Early Bird News. This message is brought to you by Pocket Pod. Say goodbye to one-size-fits-all podcasts and hello to a fully personalized listening experience with AI-crafted podcast made just for you. Head over to pocketpod.app to join the waitlist. Venture capital investment is always on the lookout for the next big opportunity. And for a while, Europe seemed to be it. Absolutely. Following Spotify's successful IPO, North American venture capitalists rushed to Europe, hoping to find the continent's next unicorn. But it hasn't been all smooth sailing. Indeed. Despite the initial attraction, North American VCs have faced several challenges, from cultural and operational differences across European countries to increased competition within the European VC ecosystem itself. Yet there's still something alluring about Europe's startup scene. With clearer regulations in some sectors and a continued interest from U.S.-based LPs, there seems to be a path forward for those willing to adapt. To navigate through these complexities and opportunities, we're joined by PocketPod News Business and Finance Correspondent Scott Dwyer. Scott, what can North American VCs do to successfully invest in Europe? Well, Jonathan, the key for North American venture capitalists looking to invest in Europe seems to lie in understanding and adapting to the unique landscape of the European market. The initial attraction, largely spurred by high-profile successes like Spotify's IPO, showcased the potential for outsized exits. But as we've seen, simply pouring money into Europe isn't a guaranteed path to success. One of the primary challenges has been cultural and operational differences across countries. Unlike the relatively homogenized U.S. market, Europe is a mosaic of diverse cultures and business practices which can complicate investment strategies. That diversity sounds like a double-edged sword. On one hand, it offers a wide range of opportunities. On the other, it presents significant challenges. How have these challenges affected North American VCs' presence in Europe? Indeed, Jonathan, the challenges have led some notable firms like KOTU and OMERS to exit the region altogether. Moreover, there's been a significant decline in the overall value of European deals involving at least one U.S. investor, 57% lower in 2023 compared to just a year earlier. This decline underscores not just operational hurdles, but also increased competition within the European VC market itself. Speaking of competition, how has the landscape changed within Europe? 
Are local investors stepping up? Absolutely. The European VC ecosystem has matured remarkably over recent years. Now, 80% of capital deployed in Europe is actually European, which signifies a strong shift towards local funding sources for early-stage startups. This local dominance is reshaping how deals are made and who gets to make them, a trend highlighted by General Catalyst's merger with La Familia based in Berlin. You mentioned strategic missteps by North American VCs focusing too much on London. Could you elaborate on that? Sure thing. Many North American venture capitalists initially concentrated their efforts almost exclusively in London, arguably because it offered familiarity within an otherwise diverse continent. However, this London-centric approach meant missing out on burgeoning startup hubs across mainland Europe where opportunities were equally ripe but less saturated with competition. Regulatory environments also play a crucial role here, right? Precisely. For sectors like AI and crypto where U.S. regulations remain murky at best, Europe's clearer regulatory frameworks offer an attractive proposition for investment. Firms like Andreessen Horowitz seizing this opportunity by opening offices focused on blockchain and crypto in London exemplify this trend. Despite these numerous challenges you've described, there's still significant interest from U.S.-based limited partners, LPs, correct? That's correct, Jonathan. Success stories continue to bolster confidence among U.S.-based LPs about Europe's potential for generating reliable outcomes, Plural raising its first fund in 2022, with substantial investments from U.S. endowments being a prime example here. In conclusion, while initial excitement may have waned due to various hurdles, from cultural differences to strategic misalignments, the underlying opportunities for North American VCs willing to adapt their strategies remain robust within Europe's diverse ecosystem. Fascinating insights as always, Scott. Thanks for breaking down this complex landscape for us today. My pleasure, Jonathan. Always happy to delve into these intricate topics with you. As Ukraine continues its defense against a now two-year-old Russian invasion, the country is facing more than just military challenges. Indeed, with a staggering $37 billion budget gap looming for 2024, the economic strain is palpable, but there's a glimmer of hope on the horizon with expected financial aid from international allies. Ukraine is looking to the United States and the European Union for significant support. Prime Minister Denis Schmeichel recently announced an anticipated $11.8 billion from the U.S., alongside 18 billion euros from the EU. To dig deeper into what this means for Ukraine and its ongoing struggle for stability, we'll be speaking with PocketPod News International political correspondent Alexandra Klein. Absolutely, Steve. Ukraine's economic landscape is indeed facing a pivotal moment as the country grapples with the repercussions of a now two-year-old Russian invasion. The anticipated $11.8 billion in economic support from the United States and 18 billion euros from the European Union underscore a significant international commitment to aiding Ukraine during this difficult time. That's a substantial amount of support. Can you break down what this financial aid means for Ukraine in practical terms? Certainly. Starting with the U.S. support, the $11.8 billion earmarked for Ukraine is part of a larger international effort to help the country manage its financial challenges amid ongoing conflict. This figure was announced by Ukrainian Prime Minister Denis Shmyhal on February 25th, 
highlighting it as a critical injection to address immediate financial strains and support defense efforts against Russian aggression. On top of that, there's the European Union's commitment of 18 billion euros through its Ukraine facility, approved earlier this year. This funding is not just about numbers. It represents a lifeline for Ukraine's economy, offering vital resources that can be allocated towards rebuilding and stabilizing sectors hardest hit by the war. And talking about challenges, you mentioned a $37 billion budget gap for 2024. How critical is this situation? It's extremely critical, Steve. The $37 billion budget gap illustrates just how severe the economic impact of this prolonged conflict has been on Ukraine's finances. It indicates not only immediate fiscal challenges, but also highlights potential long-term repercussions on economic stability and growth prospects if these gaps aren't adequately addressed. Prime Minister Denis Shmihal expressed optimism about receiving this aid during a televised conference in Kiev. What does his statement signify in broader terms? Prime Minister Schmeihal's optimism reflects both hope and reliance on continued international support to navigate through these tumultuous times. His comments aren't just about expressing gratitude. They signify an understanding that Ukraine's resilience and eventual recovery are closely tied to global cooperation and assistance. His statements also shed light on the broader implications of such support. It's not only about bridging financial gaps, but also about reinforcing Ukraine's position on an international stage as it defends itself against aggression, while striving towards economic stability and growth. With all these efforts and financial backing, what could we expect for Ukraine going forward? Looking ahead, Steve, these substantial commitments from both the United States and European Union offer tangible signs of international solidarity with Ukraine. While challenges remain monumental, especially with an uncertain end to the conflict, such support provides crucial breathing space for Ukraine's economy. It allows for strategic planning towards reconstruction efforts and bolstering defenses while ensuring that essential services and governmental functions continue uninterrupted amidst adversity. In essence, while immediate hurdles are daunting, there's cautious optimism that with sustained international backing like this, Ukraine can navigate through current turbulences towards eventual recovery and stabilization. A complex situation indeed, but one filled with glimpses of hope thanks to international cooperation. That was PocketPod News International political correspondent Alexandra Klein. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Steve. It was important discussing these critical developments concerning Ukraine's ongoing struggle and resilience amidst adversity. As we head into the darker months, many of us might be feeling the winter blues a bit more acutely. That's right. And for those suffering from seasonal affective disorder, or SAID, the search for effective treatments is ongoing. Interestingly, a Dutch company called Seaboro might have a bright solution on the horizon. They've showcased small devices utilizing near-infrared light at MWC, promising to replace bulky traditional SAD lamps. To shed more light on this emerging technology and its potential benefits, we're joined by PocketPod News science correspondent Clint Randall. Clint, how exactly does this near-infrared light therapy work? Near-infrared light therapy, or NIR for short, operates on a fascinating principle known as photobiomodulation, or PBM. Essentially, this involves using specific wavelengths of light to trigger biological changes within the body. NIR light sits snugly between the visible and infrared spectrums around 600 to 1,000 nanometers. What's intriguing here is that this light isn't visible to the human eye, 
but it has the ability to penetrate deep into tissues where it can have various therapeutic effects. According to research from the National Institute of Health, PBM has seen a surge in global attention due to its potential health benefits. That sounds promising, especially for those struggling with seasonal affective disorder. Can you explain more about what SAD is and how it relates to our modern lifestyle? Absolutely. Uh, seasonal affective disorder, or SAD as it's commonly known, is essentially a type of depression that's related to um, changes in seasons. For about 5% of Americans, which totals up to around 10 million people, the shorter days and longer nights of winter can significantly dampen their mood, due in part to decreased sunlight exposure. This lack of natural sunlight affects serotonin production, a key hormone that regulates mood. The modern trend of spending considerable time indoors exacerbates this issue by further reducing our exposure to sunlight. Traditional SAD lamps have been around for a while now. How do they compare with this new NIR technology? Traditional SAD lamps primarily you know, utilize the visible light spectrum, aiming to mimic natural sunlight's effects on our bodies and minds. However, these lamps tend to be rather large and cumbersome, not really suited for someone who spends hours in front of a computer screen daily. NIR therapy presents a sleeker alternative using wavelengths that uh, traditional lamps don't leverage to potentially offer similar or even enhanced benefits without taking up as much space. Speaking of sleek alternatives, Seabro's demonstration at MWC caught quite some attention with their near-infrared devices. Could you delve deeper into what they're proposing? Seabro indeed made waves at MWC with their showcase of small-scale NIR devices designed as practical alternatives to traditional bulky SAD lamps. These devices are still in the proof-of-concept stage, but represent an exciting step forward. Seabro envisions them being integrated into everyday technology like laptops or external webcams, making NIR therapy access seamless for users who spend significant time indoors. There's been some personal testimony regarding NIR light therapy's effectiveness on mood and health during winter months. What does current research say about this? Personal experiences often highlight improvements in mood and overall well-being attributed to NIR light therapy during those darker winter months. Supporting this anecdotal evidence are studies from about a decade ago indicating positive effects at specific dosages. For example, consistent benefits were observed at 6.5 joules per square centimeter during winter months without adversely affecting circadian rhythms. However, despite these promising findings, there remains some skepticism about its efficacy due largely in part to potential placebo effects, among other factors. It certainly seems like near-infrared light therapy could be a game-changer for many people dealing with SAD or just looking for ways to improve their mood during less sunny periods. Indeed, Jonathan, while more research is needed, especially concerning long-term impacts and broader efficacy measures, NIR light therapy stands out as an innovative approach, offering hope for millions seeking relief from seasonal affective disorder and similar conditions triggered by our increasingly indoor lifestyles. That was PocketPod News Science correspondent Clint Randall. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Always a pleasure discussing new advancements in science and health with you. And that's Early Bird News for Monday, February 26, 2024. I'm Jonathan Martin. And I'm Steve Onsker. Thank you for listening, Allie. We hope you have a good day, and we will see you tomorrow. This podcast was created by PocketPod entirely with AI. If you'd like to learn more, head over to pocketpod.app.